The following podcast is a Dear Media production. That's so retrograde. Okay. That is so retrograde. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hi, everyone. Summer time. And the living's easy, except for all the mosquitoes that I'm killing. <laughs> Welcome to That's So Retrograde. I'm Elizabeth Cott. Hello, Elizabeth Cott. My dad calls you Elizabeth Not. He wouldn't be the first person. For no reason. I get that. I go, Dad, it's Cott. He goes, I know. I just like calling her Not. Okay, well... You would. Okay. You would, He Mr. likes Trump. it, so he knows, and he's just doing it anyway. That's, like, probably why he likes Fox News, too. Most of the people, yeah, that's pretty much summed that up. <laughs> uh, most of the people do it on accident. Right, But no. I've been getting that my whole life, oh, so. It's weird. I don't understand. That silent N, I'm I Stephanie guess? Zimbabwe, yeah. according to a lot of telemarketers in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, when my... Uh, when I am using like the voice control in my car mm-hmm. and it always says Simburi okay. when they're reading. It's like Stephanie Simburi. Burry. And I'm like, that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> La Chienega. Yeah. <laughs> it can't. It's not right. It's not right. But hey, who's going to tell them? How are they going to know? It's fine. I don't really care. The digital I'm not attached. Age. It's not about my name. It's about my essence. You know what I mean? I do know. Who cares? I do know. Um, well, how are you doing today on this fine summer afternoon? I'm doing great. It's Monday. Yep. You know, Ambie posted something cool on Soul Astrology today, which I thought was kind of fascinating. What'd she say? She said that every day of the week is associated with a planetary body and that Monday is the moon. And that's like why people experience like Monday blues or like why Mondays are slower. And like, I always just kind of thought it was because like, it's not the weekend anymore, mm-hmm. which just probably like also applies. As I started kind of thinking about it when I was like doing all my, my dishes and my like slow Monday morning chores, I was like, I do have more of a sense of like home and taking care of things and mm-hmm. that on Mondays and as a cancer moon that like is like the ruler of those sorts of like nurturing activities. So I think it's like an interesting thing to examine. I've got a case of the moon. I've got a case. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the story of my fucking life. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Not wrong. It's hard being this emo honey. Okay. Okay. But we'll talk about that more in Roses and Thorns because I actually feel like I cracked a life hack on um, the more emo oh of, my God, of all of us. I'm at the edge of my seat. I know. Finally. Finally. Finally, I've got your attention after all these years. Well, we've got quite a show. Mm-hmm. It is a listener-generated content show with mm. one of the most, I would say, uh, educated in the female, all things female, from reproductive to productive <laughs> And beyond, yeah. Erica Chitty Cohen is joining us. She is the author of Nurture mm-hmm. and the uh, creator of a beautiful space here in Los Angeles called Loom mm-hmm. that we will get into all of that. But she just, she worked with both of us mm-hmm. on our own, what we'll call period coaching. Mm-hmm. And she just uh, provided us with some tips for being able to manage that female experience. And she provides all of us in this episode with some tools to and some suggestions and some answers. Thank you guys for submitting so many questions. We obviously couldn't get to all of them. There was 
many, many, many questions. And I think that just goes to show how deeply misinformed and uninformed we all have been about our cycles um, in the uh, 90s and aughts of not paying attention to how the female body actually fucking works. And so I just feel so grateful to Erica for being that source for us and to all of you guys for engaging with your curiosity and really wanting to take care of yourself. Yeah, we love it when we can kind of be the channel to get your answers, questions answered and your answers questioned. All of the above. All of those things. All right, so why don't we just kick it off with Erica? Let's do it. Erica Chitty Cohen joining us back here today in the studio. Hello. Last time we were together, we were sitting on a stage at the Rama Institute. That's true. Just want to note that here we're at now and facing one another at a glass table in a proper podcasting studio. Come a long way. Yeah. But well, we loved Rama. It was so cozy. It's, so, it's the best vibe there. there. I'm all about Kundalini. Yeah. It you was, know, my only chagrin with that was that it was in Venice. Yeah, <laughs> Other than that, I was happy as, a, Chill. as can be. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I yep. love sitting on a sheepskin. It's cozy. Who there's, doesn't? Yeah, there's nothing Like, else. if you don't like sitting on a sheepskin, you don't like listening to That's So Retrograde. I just feel like that's a mm, broad that's stroke true. statement. Although I yeah. will say, remember when this studio first got built, they put the sheepskin on the chairs. chairs and I was like, too I've warm. never experienced deeper swamp ass in <laughs> yeah. my life. It's yeah. too much. You're just like, hmm. I'm like, I can't focus on this interview because I'm drenched. You're like, my vagina and my butt. What a perfect segue yeah, into today's truly. conversation. Correct. My vagina and my butt. Yep, tell us about them. Yes, <laughs> tell us everything. So Help Erica, us. you are the CEO of Loom. So what we do at Loom is provide health education. We're really focused on helping people feel empowered in their body through all of the potential reproductive experiences they might go through. So whether it's periods, sexual wellness, pregnancy, parenting under the first year, miscarriage, abortion. We just see the whole thing as this big continuum that needs constant support and constant education. And unfortunately, there's been such a lack of that for a very long time and it's starting to change and we really are excited to be kind of on the forefront of what it looks like to learn about your body throughout your entire life. We are really excited and we have for a long time, like we have a wonderful group of community advisors that are clinicians, so like OBGYN, psychologists, et cetera, who've helped inform a lot of our curriculum. And, you know, we really see the importance of working alongside of the medical community to help further, you know, not necessarily, well, yeah, I would say to further simplify a lot of the messaging around what they're doing. You know, unfortunately, care providers, doctors, nurses, you name it, don't have as much time to sit with every single patient and make sure that they really feel fully informed about everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so there really is this room for more education. And the idea is that it needs to feel fun and it needs to feel warm and it needs to feel exciting. And I think that's really where, you know, our sweet spot is, is making the process of learning about your body feel like something you actually feel like doing, you know, as opposed to feeling like homework. Mm-hmm. Well, I also feel like what you said is so interesting because it's like the process of learning about it isn't the thing that's supported like at all. Like even in this world and we've had conversations with you and other people about this, like I've gone to the gynecologist with certain concerns and no shade to the gynecologist. I love my gynecologist, but it's like, there's one way to do things in the eyes of that particular profession of like, Mm -hmm. okay, well you should just go on this birth control. And you're like, 
okay, but and then you you voice your concerns, and it's kind of like they're not really tended to as relevant or and not not that they're trying to make you feel dumb, but they just don't see it that way. So it's kind of like in that realm, your intuition gets taken from you because mm. you're giving it away to the authority figure, even though it doesn't feel correct. Let's put it this way. You and I have the same OBGYN. I showed him what a period tracker app was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like there's the gap between accessibility and education and a standard doctor's appointment there it's so massive yeah it is and it look you know over the next 20 to 40 years that will change as you know more younger doctors and providers move into that sector yeah. but you know as it stands right now there is a really wide gap between you know an older provider not to be ageist but them not necessarily being as interested or as up to date with some of the technologies or some of the kind of education orientated tools that are there to help their patients feel better and potentially also feeling more autonomous in terms of how they want to, you know, dictate uh, their healthcare or make healthcare choices. So, you know, that's why I think there just has to be a deeper connection between, you know, the health education space and the medical space so that people really feel like they're like they're getting the uh, getting a fuller experience. And as you said through your work at Lumen, you're a doula and an educator and an author of the book Nurture. I am. Which is how we met was when that book came out. True. And uh, you cover all things period, sex, pre and post-pregnancy. So we thought it would be a really exciting opportunity to have our listeners fuel the questions for the conversation. And we got so many questions. I know, I saw. Which is only a testament to the importance of the work you're doing and how this information is is so necessary and craved by all of us. It's just so funny how like, you know, we talk about this all the time, but like I think that Elizabeth and I both at 30 years old like learned that we had a cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we were like, wait, what do you mean? Like our body isn't just like bleeding and then doing nothing for three other weeks. Yeah, and it's exactly. Like, it's just been such a deep dive of things that like that should be the health education of like of middle school of like, I don't need no small child crossing a bridge, you know, with Girl Scout cookies and crying or whatever the fuck. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Growing up on Broadway. Yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, this was like a weird Annie video. I mean, I don't know what that has to do with anything. (laughs) Note to self, ask for a link. It's It's very hard to find online. I've tried. Yeah, because whoever made it is like, I can't believe we made that. We just stripped that from searchable <laughs> internet. That's fucked up. But yeah, it's just, it's so cool that we have this opportunity. So yeah. I think we should get into it. So we got questions in every category, but we thought we would start with those regarding birth control. Cool. Because a lot came in. Cool. So first, and, oh, go ahead. And also keep in mind, you know, I'm always coming at this information from a health educator perspective. So in terms of being able to diagnose or prescribe, I'm not a clinician, but I definitely can let you know when it will be a good time for you to talk to a care provider. And always actually, to be honest, full disclaimer, ask your care provider about any decisions you're making around your health and reproductive health in general. Wise note. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. So hormonal IUD, yes or no? This uh, listener currently has one. And she feels fine, but she's just curious. Yeah, I mean, look, I think IUDs, so intrauterine devices, are really fine. Did not know that's what it stood for. Okay. <laughs> learning learning every stuff. Learning every day. Always trying to break down an acronym. I think IUDs are 
fire. Um, fire for, good, fire bad. Fire good. Okay. Yeah, fire good. Flambe. Um, <laughs> I'm into them primarily. Flambe, not fires in the Valley of Los Angeles. Yes, not okay. fires in the, and not fire fest okay. either. Just a general good, good. stoking Fuego. of the fire. Fuego. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, IUDs for the win. I, I say that for a couple of different reasons. One, you know, you can ha- place have one placed by a provider. And when I say, and also when I say provider, just for those, when I say provider or clinician, I'm talking about a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a midwife in terms of placing a uh, IUD. Um, and you can have it for about seven years, for some of them, and up to even 10 years, depending on which one you put in. Um, you know, Yeah. And so it's just there. And, you know, basically what it's doing when you have a hormonal IUD is it's providing a kind of small amount or localized amount because it's just really going to the uterus of um, levongestrol, which is a type of hormone um, that basically makes sure that the lining of the uterus, the endometrium, doesn't really thicken that much. Um, So most people, when they get a hormonal-based IUD put in, might have some breakthrough through bleeding maybe the first year or so. Um, But then after that, it kind of goes away and they, you know, experience a lot of just for most people, especially if you're not wanting to have any real bleeding, a hormonal IUD can feel, you know, really good. And also a lot of people can potentially still ovulate after the first year, but not be bleeding, but still have some semblance of a cycle, Mm -hmm. um, which for some people feels really great. So I think for a lot of people, it can be a great option as opposed to taking um, systemic birth control, which is going to go through your entire system. The localized component um, for people who have been very sensitive to the pill um, sometimes have a far more positive experience on a hormonal IUD. And there's a couple different kinds, and they have varying levels of this of that hormone I mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, the only thing I would say about getting an IUD is just the insertion for some people can be a little challenging. In the horror, right? um, horror stories. Yeah, so maybe, you know, and before going into that, there's also non-hormonal IUDs as well. Um, and when I say IUDs, I mean IUD, and it's called the Paragard. And Is the that the pa- copper one? Yeah. And the copper one basically creates an, a non or an inhibitable environment for sperm um, so that it can't survive um, once it, it's in um, the uterus. And so that's how it works. People tend to experience more cramping of the uterus with that IUD. They also typically have heavier bleeding for a longer period of time as their body acclimates. But if you're a person who just does not do well on hormones in any capacity, it can be a really good fit for you. Uh, But going back to the insertion question or just the concerns, look, I think for one, it's not just an easy thing. I think oftentimes care providers or doctors will be like, it's not really that painful. Don't worry too much about it. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have pain sensitivity. So I would say, you know, definitely consider taking something beforehand, you know, like, you know, on a leave or like, you know, something that is going to be like an anti-inflammatory to help you prior. And then, you know, during there's all kinds of protocols that care providers can do. The evidence around them is kind of, loosey-goosey like whether or not it works but they could do they can inject like kind of lidocaine like right you know on the cervix to help make it 
feel less painful when the um, the actual device is being inserted. Uh, and also just talking to you during the procedure, they call it verbicane, like actually being spoken to can help you to relax a lot more. Another option too, if you have what they call like a vasovagal response, like you're just passing out, like when you're getting the IUD placed in, you know, contracting and releasing like your, your muscles. I mean, not your muscles, well, you are contracting and releasing muscles, but your hands and your feet kind of like helping to keep the, the blood kind of pumping in other areas of your body can help you to not pass out when that's happening. And then also for people who have like sexual trauma or just super high, um, or super low pain threshold, there is always also the option of going under general anesthetic to have the IUD placed. But again, you know, it just depends on your provider's capability and whether or not they're willing to do that. Are there any studies in regards to being able to get pregnant once the IUD is removed and if that affects anything? If it's a copper IUD, the return of fertility is pretty quick. Uh, If it's a hormonal IUD, it's also fairly quick, but not as quick as, say, the Paragard. I don't have the exact length of time for each, but I would imagine, you know, within a cycle or two um, or a traditional cycle or two after taking out a the hormonal IUD and then shorter for something like the Paragard uh, because you are still going to have a period with the Paragard. So you're not going to, in terms of the return to fertility, it's really once the device is there, you should be able to, you know, conceive because the the thing that stopped the sperm from being able to live is no longer there. Mm. There's no other impediment to that area. But yeah, birth control, hormonal birth control, it's a little bit different in terms of how quickly the body will kind of come back and adapt after having that connection between kind of the pituitary gland and the ovaries kind of being like they say, or not like they say, like you could consider that communication between up there in your brain and down there in your ovaries kind of cut off right. when you're on systemic birth control or the birth control pill. And so once the you- The energetic c- cords have been cut. Correct. <laughs> so once- um those have been cut, it can take a little while for some bodies to come back online and get that communication going again. Um, and for some people, it happens, you know, within, you know, a few months, you know, so it just, it just depends. Everyone's body's different. Some people do really well in hormonal birth control and then other bodies sometimes don't. So to that, we have another question in regards to the birth control pill. Is it fucking with hormones and bodies long term? She says, I don't like it, but I also don't want an infant. Here's my, like, side question before you answer that is, like, what is, like, the reason to be on birth control? Like, I mean, maybe I'm just not in a relationship. To not have kids. No, I know, but, like, isn't there – and I'm, I'm saying this purposefully ignorantly so that – we can really answer it. Yeah. Isn't there only like a few days of a month where you can even get pregnant? Yeah, of course. So there's about six days of the month that you actually are able to get pregnant. But going on birth control is not always predicated by the fact that you don't want to have a child. For some people, they're going on birth control because they actually don't feel like bleeding. You know, there's actually, and I cannot remember where I read this. Oh, in the UK. I think in the UK now, the new kind of standard practice or the recommendation when it comes to uh, oral birth control or systemic birth control, I, you can use either term, um, is... Yes, lots of words. <laughs> um, you don't have to take the withdrawal pills in your pack anymore. You can just keep taking the normal... Like the placebo? Yeah. You don't pl- let the week happen? Yeah, because there's no. it's not a real period. It's just a withdrawal bleed. So that, that 
the fact that the, that the withdrawal plea was there was kind of to give people that plea, like this idea that's kind of still happening, but it's actually not. But isn't so, it? Sorry, isn't it healthier for your body to have the bleed? No, no, it doesn't. It's just, it's it's, it's a manufactured bleed. No, no, so. not on the period. I just mean like generally speaking. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, but going back to, going back to your question of what is the point of being on it yeah. and just whether or not, why would you take it? Some people are on it for not wanting to bleed at all and knowing that that's an option for people sometimes feels really great regardless of the health benefits of having a regular period because we live in the patriarchy and like having your period is super inconvenient due to the way our, our culture is designed. If our culture was more supportive, then I think more people would be like, yeah, I'm down with bleeding because there's like, you know, I can take a day off from work yeah. or like there's just more to support you there we need summer Fridays for our periods (laughs) well some companies now offer p days it's like a period day so you can like telecommute um or you could like work a half day I mean I think as more and more you know women or people that have those body parts start to step into more and more kind of higher corporate positions that culture is hopefully going to continue to shift but yes is it healthier for you to actually bleed and ovulate yes because actually the most important part of the menstrual cycle is not you actually bleeding it's ovulating when you ovulate there is there are so many health benefits that are going on and it's as some people would describe it it's your fifth vital sign and so allowing that kind of that fluctuation of hormones is actually really good for your body over time, for your bones, for your heart, all these different things. It's not just the bleed that's the focus. The bleed is actually like this afterthought. Mm. It's just a process of, um, of ovulation that's really, really helpful for your entire system. So is birth control, you know, fucking with my hormones? I wouldn't say it's fucking with your hormones. It is altering how they naturally work in your body, which is why, like we, you just said, like the energetic cords are cut. That is what's going on. It's just cutting off that communication between kind of your brain and your ovaries and saying, hey, let's just go and take like a long pause. But I do think it's really cool. And a part of me even feels in a sense, it's even more feminist. The fact that the NHS and the UK are just saying like, don't even take those placebo mm. withdrawal pills. There's no point. Just, you don't want to, you just, you don't want to bleed. Just take, just keep going. Just like, go and, for it. Yeah. Which I think is like, let's just be honest with people. Like why pretend if you actually want to just not bleed? But I remember like I, when I had a boyfriend and I wasn't, I wasn't educated on the, uh, when I could get pregnant aspect of things. I just thought it was always a risk. Always a risk. <laughs> just always scared. Um, I went on birth control for like a month because I was like, fine, you can come inside of me. You know, like that's what I was like kind of going for. And I like wasn't, I was so attracted to him before with like our scents and like we just had like the pheromonic connection and I was like, I couldn't get enough of him. And then when I went on birth control, I was like, bleh, bleh, bleh. like my my physical reaction to him, like, wasn't the same and that's why I went off it because I was like the whole point of this is so you could just like come in me and now I don't even want to fuck you yeah so it look it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean seriously like not to no no I'm, no I'm, I'm not a doctor I don't have to speak in medical terms no you do not <laughs> but <laughs> with that language you could become a doctor yeah. <laughs> I'd want that yeah actually. you could totally you could totally like push that save your face happen. for marriage ladies <laughs> just uh you know doctor Steph <laughs> building <laughs> um you, you, here's the thing some people do experience a, a decrease in arousal and desire um, sexually when they're on right. hormonal birth control. The irony. So, the irony, because you're like, I'm doing this for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that's why for some people taking the pill is like a no-no. Depo for many and 
you know, I would even say is a no-no at the actual injection um, or the patch. But people are like, I can definitely do a NuvaRing, which is like, you know, a small. I was on Yeah. Some, well, some people feel like they can. A lot of people, that's. It's like I feel like it's like a 50-50 thing. Some people are like, I love my Nuvering, and other people yeah. are like, it's disgusting. It gave me like genital looking warts. Yeah, well, I mean like I got like a backup and like it tried it was like trying to come out of my body. Well, you see, here's the thing. It was sick. I, I had don't, a really bad reaction to it as remember well. Remember and I had to tell that guy that I that he gave me herpes, and then like a week later I was like, just kidding. <laughs> JK, it's my JK, birth JK. It's my birth control. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um <laughs> but then, you know, some and then that and then cutting to the IUD. Um some people that are on the IUD, especially like the Paragard, look, there's no hormones, but there's birth control. You're not going to feel that necessarily feel the decrease in, um, you know, desire and arousal. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I think I hear you. That's typically a chief complaint for people. But some people do fucking amazing on birth control. They still want to get down. They like that their skin's clear. They like that, it, like all the other benefits that it provides. And so that, that's what I always think is very interesting is just what is the reason why you're yeah. on birth control? Because for some people, if they're just like, I just want to make sure I don't get pregnant, then maybe the pill isn't for you. We can right. find you something else. Um, but if they're like my skin and like, I like, you know, I like that like, it makes my boobs bigger and like whatever. I mean, again, that's not like, we're not going to write that down and be like, yes, let's definitely put you on <laughs> for those two things. But a lot of teenagers go on birth control in high school before they're even thinking about sex because of skin. So I went on it because I had debilitating cramps. I went on birth control when I was 14. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is the, the cramping, it's so, because sometimes it can help with improving cramps during your period, but most of the time there's like other things going on that could be- I was be, also a whore. No, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> your parents were like, you got to get her on this. Not body pause, Elizabeth. Concerned. <laughs> um, no, it, it did. I think also it was so long ago that was like, they were just had a prescription pad and it was kind of it, the energy around it just felt like try this. This could help. Yeah. Yeah. But essentially what happened when you got put on birth control is you stopped cycling. So you when you had your withdrawal bleed, it wasn't really a period. So the type of contractions you're having mm-hmm. um, that, that your uterus is making are not would not be the same as it would when you would have an actual period, which is why when you transition off of birth control, all of those symptoms that have been kind of quieted by the pill. Um, can come back because the actual kind of issue hasn't really been dealt with. You just kind of turned it Yeah, off. so with those issues, I feel like it's more of a Band-Aid. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the, the concern with our listener who asked the question is long-term effects. Yeah, I think in terms of long-term effects, it's hard to really lay into that in more detail because every body is going to kind of navigate what's in what's placed inside of it very differently. But I just think it's best to do as much research as possible and pick the right type of hormonal birth control for you if that's the road that you want to go down. Let's take a quick pause to chill for a second. Oh, a chill pause. A chill pause. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by one of our partners, Cured Nutrition, which is a holistic supplement company based in Boulder, Colorado. Cured Nutrition does CBD in a very interesting way. They're putting it into ingestible, digestible products. Not only do they have tinctures, but they also have food items. One that I'm so excited about is they have this, it's like a salt and a sugar. I know there's a chipotle one, and then they also have a sweet one. And I've been making my nighttime tincture that I get for my acupuncture. It's like a powder for relaxation. And then instead of putting honey in it, I've been putting this CBD cinnamon honey 
powder. Innovative. And I put it in there as like the sweetener and it, the tincture literally tasted like fruity pebbles. I was like, is this what health tastes like now? Because I'm so on board. In addition to their 100% locally sourced Colorado hemp extracts, Cured also guarantees a rigorous quality control system, which I think is we're all exploring the space of CBD. That's importante. Very, very, very importante. And they're not only using CBD in their products, but if you look at some of their um, supplements, like the Zen Nighttime one, which I'm a fan of, um, they're using magnesium, reishi, valerian, skullcap, passionflower, ashwagandha, chamomile, and a bunch of those, um, as you guys I'm sure picked up on, or are adaptogens. So not only are you getting the relaxing feeling immediately, but over time it's building up in your system for just lower grade stress response, which is just like, thank you. So whether you're looking for the trademark maximum strength, full spectrum, or THC-free oils and gel caps, or... Treats for your dog. What I'm treats for your dog. Also, CBD infused cookie dough for on the go. That will be coming with me in my carry on the next time I go on a flight. Mm. Cured Nutrition has all of your bases covered. It's really exciting, guys. Go over to curednutrition.com, shop around, and use the code TSR for fifteen percent off. Okay. Again, that's curednutrition.com, code TSR. Check it out. They're great products. We think you'll love them. And the packaging's really cute. Important. <laughs> Let's shift gears to a different period question. Someone wants to know what you have to say about amenorrhea, amenorrhea. How do we pronounce this? Yeah, that is correct, amenorrhea. Amenorrhea, no periods for women in their 20s. I've never heard of this before. Well, basically, amenorrhea means no period, she no come. Without knowing anything about this person, one of the things that drives amenorrhea can be being too underweight, uh, you know, when it comes to ovulation, your body needs to feel like there's enough going on in the system in terms of like the system's ability to support itself in order to ovulate. Because obviously, regardless of whether or not you were thinking about it, ovulation should potentially lead to conception. And so in order to hold and maintain a pregnancy, you need to have, you know, enough, um, you know, nourishment and fat and all of that in the system. So um, if that person feels like they're super underweight, um, that could be one thing to look at correcting to help that because sometimes that dietary change and kind of upping those, um, you know, upping those LBSs can help um, shift that. And another thing is stress. You know, stress definitely can affect the cycle um, overall and also can delay um, ovulation. So something else to kind of keep in mind. And again, there could be a, a number of other kind of underlying issues going on, but um, also so exercising a lot, if you are exer- like excessive exercising, will typically put us in the position of being underweight mm. typically or having where we don't have that good kind of, um, you know, fat to uh, that good fat ratio in the system. So that's that. those are the things to think about in terms of when it's happening. And it can happen not only in your 20s, it can happen in your 30s and your 40s, uh, you know, even as you start to, well, as you head into perimenopause, your cycle starts to change a lot anyway in terms of its regularity. Um, but those would be the first things I would think about in terms of amenorrhea. I had a I did have a friend who was vegan and wasn't getting her period for like years. And then she started eating a little bit of meat and drinking bone broth. And within like six months, she got her period back. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like the system's got to have what it needs. And like genetically, some people can do really well on veganism. It doesn't affect her period at all. But some people need to have like the full complement of, you know, all the nutrients to be able to, you know, to ovulate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll pivot into another fun part of the female experience. 
Um, we have a listener who's pregnant and she is clueless and she says, what's your best advice to give to a soon-to-be mom? You know, it's so interesting. I firstly just want to say to this person, it's okay to be clueless. Unfortunately, there aren't really good um, kind of resources and symptoms systems in place to help you feel like, cool, I've got this. I can do it. Uh, but I would say most important thing is definitely working with a doctor or midwife or care provider that you feel comfortable with. Uh, someone that doesn't make you feel super rushed and that you can ask questions to. I also think it could be really helpful to get a doula, someone who can help guide you through your pregnancy. Doulas basically are there to provide emotional support, educational support, and especially if you're moving or live somewhere new and you don't really have a community, your doula can kind of like introduce you to like all these other practitioners who can help support your pregnancy. Um, you know, reading is also obviously really helpful. Uh, you know, you could read my book, Nurture. Nurture. Um, you also could read, uh, you know, Expecting Better by Emily Oster is another really great book. Um, you could also read, uh, I'm trying to think what other great books. Is, um, are we not reading what to expect when you're expecting anymore? It's just like, look, <laughs> it's a good, it's a good, solid foundation book, but I'm just trying to give everybody like the modern options I know. I was that came out recently. Also, <laughs> Mindful Mom to Be um, is another great book too by my really good friend, Lori Bregman. Um, so there's, there's good resources out there. So kind of reading, you know, finding a doula, feeling cool and comfortable with your care provider. Um, and also just remember like your body was actually built to do this. Even if you got pregnant with assistance, you had to do IUI or IVF or whatever it was, your system is actually biologically set up to do this process. Being pregnant is not being sick. It's a normal process. So you also have to trust that your body is going to do what it's supposed to do at the same time. So mm. a lot of people want to be like, I need all these resources. I got to like load it in. And and it's it's counterintuitive to the process. It's like, it's ha already happening. It's happening as you type that question saying you have no clue. It's like your body has this really intelligent, you know, ability to just to get it done. So I think the most important thing beyond kind of getting a clue and knowing kind of what interventions are, are, are available or if you are not wanting interventions and you want to be at home and picking that environment is actually just managing your anxiety and like eating well, trying to get as much rest as possible, doing things that make you feel good. Those are the things that are going to help you kind of really get through the pregnancy mm -hmm. because, you know, you're you're not a doctor or you're not a midwife. You don't need to know everything, but you need to kind of build confidence and like help your system um, feel good. So self-care maximum. I know you're a doula, but I'm curious, let's say a pregnant woman needed to pick either a midwife or a doula. Do so, you think that there's like, what do you recommend? So that's a great question because um, doulas and midwives are not the same thing right. at all. So midwives are actual clinical care providers. They go through a licensure. They're able to do, depending on what environment they're in, but for example, if you're working with a midwife in the hospital, they can do everything that an OBGYN can do up until surgery. So... Basically, okay. it's, it's like it's, they can natural birth a baby. Well, yeah, they can deliver a baby. Um, they can, you know, put orders in for you at the hospital if you wanted to get an epidural, have medication placed. Like a certified nurse midwife, especially if she's a nurse practitioner, she can prescribe medication for you. She can do everything that a 
OBGYN can do other than being able to make an incision and actually perform surgery if you needed a cesarean birth. That's what I mean. Okay. So um, so working with a midwife or doula isn't actually a, a choice. Or. Yeah, doulas would accompany a midwife or accompany an OBGYN. So I doulas see. are not clinical care providers at all. Some of us have like, you know, you know, I did all my nursing, you know, prerequisites and I have like, a, I've done a lot of um, education in that space. So I have, you know, more knowledge than say someone who might've just done like a weekend course and is now a doula, which is totally amazing too. And you don't actually need to do a course to be able to support someone in a birth experience. That's really important to say as well. Um, it's just something that people are able to do for one another, but yeah, doulas are educators and they're there to help support the birth experience, but you would still need a midwife or doctor. I depending. See. Yeah. Beautiful. And if you're worried about not knowing what you're doing when you're pregnant, just remember there was a TV show called I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant, and all those people had babies into toilets. <laughs> okay. So you're doing fine. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's, it is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that can happen, Jeez, think the, show, the show is so wild. I was always oh like, God. I don't understand. Like, first of all, you don't get your period for nine months. Like, what's going and on? Like, how do you grow? Like, what is the state of your body when to grow a baby and be like, I think I just ate too many hamburgers. Yeah, like, what's happening? I've actually never watched the show because I was so disturbed by the idea. <laughs> it's I just like extremely I like, disturbing. I like don't even want to know what it's like to just yeah. I mean, it's the exact so d- antithesis of of the work you do. It's the shadow side, honey. <laughs> so look, y'all trying to fuck <laughs> us too. We've got questions. Someone asked, actually, a couple people kind of asked a question in this vein um, about. Why can't I orgasm with a partner, only have one solo? And then there's another question similar to that of, like, can't get close to an orgasm with a partner. How do I get out of my head? Questions like this. Mm -hmm. um, It's a theme. Are thematically throughout this situation. Well, here's what I'll say. Again, this is one of the things about, you know, when the question comes in and I – can't like get a little deeper or know a little more so I can just do broad strokes. Yeah. Firstly, yay for you for having an orgasm, period, point blank. So that's really what I want to say first because that in itself is a really wonderful thing and a gift that you're able to give yourself on the regular, it seems. So that's awesome. Uh, it also means on your own there is, you know, there's a comfortability and you're able to really tap in and, and give yourself pleasure. However, you know, sometimes it can be hard for that to translate with a partner. And there's so many reasons why that could be happening. You know, one, maybe it's a newer partner uh, and you're still kind of like learning each other's bodies and then kind of figuring things out. And if that's the case or it's a long term partner and that's the case, I really think it's important to be able to show your partner what it is that you like and being able to talk about it. And, you know, I know for people that can feel very uncomfortable, it's like, how do I like, when's the right time to kind of broach that conversation? But, you know, a couple of things, you know, if you're not having sex when your partner is inside of you, whether it's their hand or their penis or a toy, depending on whether you're in a hetero or non-hetero relationship or same-sex relationship, you know, it might be that you want to have stimulation outside of your vagina. You want to have stimulation that's more clitoral, which is for a lot of people how they're able to achieve an orgasm. And again, also, you know, 
orgasms, although you might feel like they're happening in your genitals, you know, it's very much a brain connection as well. And so there has to feel like there's safety, that there's trust, um, and that you feel comfortable. And so it's this combination of just how safe do I feel with this person and also making sure that they know what parts of your body need to be activated for you to be able to have an orgasm. And so, you know, if for you, it's like, that's you loving having your clit rub, then maybe we need to talk more about that with your partner or show them. I'm a really big fan of mutual masturbation or at least, you know, showing not necessarily to climax, but just really giving someone an idea of like, okay, this really feels good. And again, another thing that's super important is when something does feel good, tell your partner it feels really good. Keep doing more of that. And when something doesn't feel good, you can say, you don't have to say, oh, that doesn't feel good. That feels terrible. You can be like, you know, I loved when you were doing more of this thing. You can definitely take it and put it in more of a positive framework as opposed to being like, that's a demerit. You didn't do that right. Yeah, um, the languaging you know, can, like, oh, I, it can make or break it. Oh, yeah. Being, and so instead of being like, I don't like that, be like, could you do more of this? Could you do more of this? I think can be a nice reframe. Um, and then secondly, or not even secondly, I, and then another thing to keep in mind too is if you're someone that's using a vibrator or kind of a more high-intensity toy to reach orgasm, that can really sometimes make it more challenging to achieve an orgasm when that toy is not there and so it might be it desensitizes yeah it's not it's like desensitization is maybe one way of looking at it but it's definitely more of a you become accustomed to that as a way to get to that point um and so a little bit of it is kind of unlearning that and 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 learning that there are other options to be able to you know to climax and kind of weaning yourself off a little bit of that particular toy maybe trying something that's maybe more at a rumble as opposed to like you know like a hayachi intensity you know does the massage wand also i read something that um alisa vitti said once she was writing it in a certain like moment but it helped me really think about this because i'm always like scared that my vibrator is gonna like burn my vagina off um, and she was like, st- instead of starting with the toy, start with yourself and then see like how far you can get, like how much arousal you can give yourself without assistance. And then if you need to like bring in the brigade, like do that. But I feel like I know for so long, I just like grab the thing and just do, and not even, it was even creating like a disconnect for you with me, with yeah. myself. A hundred percent. I mean, I'm a hands girl. I have always been a person that loves masturbating with their hands. I I love toys. I love like how many there are now and all the varieties and like low rumble, high rumble, whole all, world. Whole world. It's what it's fantastic. But I do think that, you know, it's a lost art knowing how to use your hands. Yeah. And also so much of that has to do too with, you know, people's sexual experiences, trauma, what we've been told about our bodies. For a lot of people, it does feel nice to have like something between you and your body versus you and your body just being completely together. But getting to that point with yourself does, I think, lend you to being able to even be open to it with another person. Like, of course, not open to it just with you. Yeah. How can you expect yourself to be vulnerable enough with another person? A hundred percent. And I think also though, you know, it's, it's being gentle. Like I, again, we don't know this person. We don't know what's happened to them, but just knowing how many people have been exposed to sexual violence or have sexual trauma, like there's no rush. Like, 
like, you know, the fact that you can give yourself an orgasm, beautiful, however it's happening. But if you're finding that it, it is trouble with a partner, here are a couple things to look at, but also just go at your own pace. And, you know, for some couples, you might not ever really be able to achieve orgasm together in unison at the same time. It might be something where you do, you know, your partner finishes and then, you know, they finish you or you get to finish and then you finish with your she partner. She comes first. Yeah, she comes first. Or, you know. I mean, she has to because once he does, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, 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 you know, some, some people are still. like 22. Yeah. And like, you know, I just think, I think what's interesting is just it doesn't have to be what we've seen in the media where people are like going and then they come at the same time and then sex is over. Like that's also that that is something that's been imposed. Sex doesn't necessarily have to exist like that where there is like timed cumulative orgasms, you know, it's just like it. Just, I mean, that happens rarely. It can happen, but that's not necessarily what sex is supposed to look like. Right. Especially that and it's also so hetero for sex to look like that. Right. Like sex between two women is not going to necessarily look like climaxing at the same time. So I think just reframing what you what your expectations are around the orgasm. Like, are you feeling like you can't have an orgasm with your partner because it's when they're inside of you, you're not able to, but you could if they were just, you guys were lying side by side and he or they were just rubbing you out, like you could have an orgasm then. So it's just re-looking at it. Like what's the expectation? Because if it's like, you know, porn, which really can inform in both negative and positive ways, it's telling you like, I'm not having sex the way I've seen it look, then that is another reframe because at least you're having an orgasm. So we know you can get there. So like, let's (laughs) just figure out how you get there in this dynamic, even if it doesn't look how you are projecting it to look. Yeah, I think dismantling those uh, images or those ideas that were so ingrained in us by media growing up is... So important. An important path. Oh, yeah. Because, like, sex with your partner can be like you two just masturbating together and everybody comes and everyone's happy. Yeah. It's just intimate. Intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. I think Well, that's why I hate porn and why I don't watch it because it's like it removes the intimacy from the entire thing. And I think that's so dangerous. Yeah, totally. Because then we're, like, scared to have that. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about intimacy, it's like into me you see. So it's like what do you like? It's like I think the question would be different. It's like I've never had an orgasm in my entire life and I don't know how to do it. And – you know, that would be different because then we're looking at like a whole different set of, you know, potential scenarios that might be going on for that person. But like if you're getting there, then just get there in the room the way that you like to get there. Mm. And it's fine because your partner just wants to see you in pleasure. Yeah. However, there, it, there shouldn't be this feeling of inadequacy if it doesn't look the way that we've been told it's supposed to look. I feel like that's not talked about enough in, in terms of sex is like pe- that's exactly right. Like when you have sex with someone – and I feel like women are more scared to express this than men. That's what they, they, they are turned on by you being turned on. hundred percent. And so, so many women and, and younger women, I think especially like, and I can relate to this like pre 32 where it's like, you're trying, you're like hiding because yep. you're afraid yep. to like express it in that totally. moment. And that's not good for you. And it's not good for them. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. It's just like, we need to have different paradigms, Yeah, you know, and we need to just like step into, you know, whatever is going to actually feel the most comfortable for us. So if this person is listening, I hope you, you know, <laughs> show <laughs> your partner that, you know, you can have an orgasm and you get more playful and more, you know, comfortable wherever you're choosing, you know, to have sex. If it's 
primarily just like a positional thing and not so much an emotional thing. If it's an emotional thing, then just talk more about like what you're needing. Shake your tail feather. Hey, hey. <laughs> and then what about, I like the, just the follow-up little anecdote to that of like getting out of your head as a, as a question. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think using mindfulness during sex is actually really helpful. Mm. Um, and just like reminding yourself like, okay, I'm on the bed or I'm on the couch. I can feel my head against like a pillow and taking deep breaths, like not having to rush through it can be a way to come out of your head and just be like, okay, bed, bed, okay. Like if you feel comfortable looking at your partner closely in the eyes or like noticing things on their skin, like just using things in the room to bring you back. Because what's happening when you're, you're in your head is you're just, you're going away. Yeah. So it's like you can, you know, just use a sense of presencing almost to bring you back in by just feeling your body exactly where it is and like connecting with where you are in space. Naked somatic therapy. Basically. <laughs> yes. Basically. Yeah. And a red wine, yeah. guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or and CBD. Yeah. CBD would be great. I mean, CBD is so fun. Um, I actually just got sent a whole bunch of stuff from Quim, which is this woman. Oh, we've talked about this. Yeah. Have you guys, have, you guys, gotten any, have you guys gotten any yet? No, we haven't. No. Okay. Yeah. The Quim lady's got to send you some stuff. I just think... What is it? So basically... It's the clam clam CBD, right? Yeah, they they have a CBD and a THC product. Um, But the idea is like... Miss Grass told us about it. Yeah. Right, I know what we're calling it, a clam. He's like, it's a clam product. Um, (laughs) That's what they call it, I think. I think... I can't remember what the actual name of the the two different... different. Sorry, I just became my grandfather. (laughs) We need to pause to just acknowledge that scientific term. It's for the clam. Put it on linguine. Let's go. Let's eat it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, topical cannabis in sexual lubricant can feel really, really, really great. Um, even if you're not using it for like combating like pain or endo or, you know, fibroids or vaginismus, but you're using it just to like help really release and relax that pelvic floor so that you can just enjoy whatever Mm. is going to go down there, um, you know, for a longer period of time and also just feel more at ease, Mm -hmm. you know, in that whole area of your body. So I'm all about cannabis topicals, especially for sex. Yeah. It's fun. It does take like the the anxiety brain out of your vagina well yeah i mean it's it's again it's it's localized like going back to the beginning of our conversation with the iud and the fact that it's just in the uterus and it's like you know the hormonal iud anyways just releasing that hormone right there you know when you're putting uh you know a topical you know in that area and around the vagina and those vaginal tissues it's just going to go right into that area and really you know be focused there and so it does help in terms of like turning off your brain because like it distracts your brain in a sense like like Here's, I'm alive. Yeah, it's like focus down here. Yeah. Um, which can feel um really helpful actually yeah. in terms of someone trying to get out of their head. Yeah. Another kind of, you know, somatic tool could be to use something like that. Get your puss a little high. I okay. Love that. Just like distract, <laughs> distract your puss. Give her the lunch. She'll know what to do. <laughs> <Pretty much. laughs> Erica, I feel like we need to have you back on a quarterly basis just based off of all of the questions. Always we got. down to hang. We should do it, a live. Let's love do it. it. I'm Let's down. Vibe. Do it. Done. Cool. All right, Reproductive well, health cue. Thank you so thank much. You so Our much. listeners can find you on Instagram at, at my name, Erica um, Chitty Cohen. And you can also find Loom at This Is Loom. And yeah, ciao, ciao, my ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. Today's Roses and Thorns is brought to you by one of my new favorite discoveries when I'm online shopping. I knew you were going to say that. It's Honey. 
Hi, honey. I'm getting a discount. Hello. So how many of you, when you're like shopping discounts. online, how many of you like discounts? I do. So if you're shopping online, do you ever find yourself Googling for a promo code and then you're in the deep depths of the internet trying all of these different promo codes? Yes, they Some never work, work for me. It's such a headache and don't understand. it is not conducive to saving time. Right. Or money, really, because most of them don't work. Which is why I love this Honey plugin that you download once you upload it to your browser, and then as you're shopping online from over 20,000 sites like Amazon, Nordstrom, J. Crew, Nike, Best Buy, Target, you know, the big guys, mm-hmm. they're going to be checking for promo codes. So they're going to find you the best deal as it already exists. I mean, I'm obsessed with that. Can you tell me what you did recently? Okay, you so, helped me too. So... Stephanie and I have both been uh, having our lives ruined by the mosquito influx that's happening in Los Angeles right now. It's fucking terrible. Actually insane. Normally I practice nonviolence, but not when it comes to mosquitoes. I become a full-blown murderer. So I looked on Amazon and was deep in the depths of their mosquito remedies, Mm -hmm. i.e. what to kill them with. Mm -hmm. And I found (laughs) us these wall plugins to zap the mosquitoes um, in the house and then outside of the house or inside the house. They have these little like mini tennis rackets that also zap them. Okay. These fucking rackets are amazing and horrifying and thank you. But thanks to Honey, as I selected the link and also sent it to Steph, on my browser, it said, yep, you're getting the best deal. Like Honey ran it through the system and found that that was the best price for these murder tennis rackets. (laughs) So, which I could have, you know... That's not how they're marketing. (laughs) That's what we're calling them. That's what we're calling them. They're like the Zip Zap 2000. Yeah. Um, It's just wonderful, and it saved so much time. I could have probably spent another half hour looking for pricing and, and comparing pricing on the internet, but I felt just like easy peasy purchasing power. Hell yeah. So it's how do we, free we do this. and it saves money. And basically when you use a coupon provided by Honey, they earn a small commission. So it's like an affiliate type program. So you're not paying anything. They just get something on the back end from the purchase. So okay, we get questions about that. Yeah. So that's that's the whole deal. Thanks for telling with us how Honey. It works. And so basically there's really no reason not to use it unless you like wasting your time. Yeah, and money. So it's free to use, easy to install on your computer with just two clicks. And if you head over to joinhoney.com slash retrograde, that's joinhoney.com slash retrograde, all of the uh, download capability will be right there, and then you'll be saving money, and then you're welcome. And helping your friends save money. Hello. Thank you, honey. Thank you, honey. Okay, honey. <laughs> oh my god. Ew, Brittany. Sorry. Goodbye. It's good though. <laughs> um, well, here we are. It's it's that point in the show where we, we talk about the highs and the lows and the whatevs. Whatever we feel. Let me just say first things first, I'm the realist. No. Um, first things first is guys, we made it through the double eclipses of cancer season that were a real fucking kick in the dick. Mm-hmm. The first one for me was challenging. The second one was like incredibly freeing. And I've heard, talked to a bunch of people who've like kind of had the opposite. So I just kind of was like, you know, I wasn't really doing like my meditation as regularly as I wanted to be doing in the la- in like the week that it was all going down. And I just was like feeling really overwhelmed. So I 
went back way back to a meditation that I sort of learned like years and years ago where it's like you kind of go through, you go into your meditation and then you go through like and you visualize all of your chakras and you sort of like go for a walk around in there. Like so you start at the bottom and then you like go up and you know, you if you can visualize the colors of all of them, then they kind of start to like take on like a life of their own. Mm-hmm. And what I started realizing is if I just spent like a little bit of time in each place, then I could do this like excavation of like how they're like dark. Because I feel like a lot of the reasons why we get stressed is because we're not making space for ourselves. We make room for like showing up for our job or like for our friends or like we're just always in a state of like reactivity of like, okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. But like it's not coming from a place of like being resourced internally. Like it's just like the whole inside of your body is like more tight. And even if you like do yoga or you work out or whatever, you aren't really recognizing how there's like just like a vast expanse of energy that wants to like live inside of you. But like if you're not opening that up, then like it doesn't know that it can exist. Rome. Yeah. So I've been doing that and I came up with this saying as to why you might want to do this with yourself because more space, more grace. Ooh. Yeah. If you can make space for yourself, then you can show up in your life with more grace. If you do not make space for yourself, then you're showing up more tightly and less generously, less less open. There's so many things that go wrong when you aren't doing that. Like I know like I've always been like a lot, you know, I'm very emotional and I'm like extra. And like if I'm not taking care of that, like I'm just putting that in the world, that's like messy and not graceful and no one wants to fucking deal with that. But if I can do it to, with myself, then I can just be available and in a more state of like grace and flow as I enter the world. That's beautiful. Yeah, we talked about, this reminds me of the article we did with Ritual Vitamins mm-hmm. for their website. Just talking about like our morning ritual. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, for me, and I know similarly for you, when it comes to a morning quote unquote routine, for myself, it's about making space in the morning to yeah. be able to tap into what it is I may need that day. Yeah. And like, I feel like, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I do my dishes or I like, I was doing normal tasks. But when I was like, really what I need is like energetic space. It's like, it's not just like, oh, I'll go for a walk or, and then that space for myself. It's like, I'm still in the world. Like, why am I feeling tight? It's because I didn't, I'm not removing, like literally in my meditation, like sweeping the floor of my root chakra, like opening the windows in my heart, like scrubbing the light in my third eye. Like it's very visual. Yeah. It's like kind of silly, but like once you get into the visual and the color and you're like, oh fuck, like these are like rooms. Mm -hmm. And like, if I didn't pick up my fucking clothes on my floor, my actual bedroom, it'd be a mess. If I'm not like turning the light on inside of me, it's like dark and weird and like I'm not available. That's very cool. I like that visualization it's a lot. It's fun. And it's like fun yeah. to engage with yourself. You're like, yeah. oh, I have so much cool energy inside of me. If you need me. something to do while you're meditating, yeah. clean it the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Get out that fucking internal broom and sweep, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a great Dear Falcon question. We haven't had one of these in a moment. Um, we need a Dear Falcon jingle. It says we do. Like so a, why don't you just make one? There you go. <laughs> so we got this question, and this is a theme that's that's come up a lot for us in live events at Q&As and so forth. So we wanted to tackle it today. So in this digital age, it's so easy to fall into a trap of thinking you're keeping up with people. Just swiping through stories, 
and seeing what's up in their lives. My question is, how do you subtly slide into someone's DMs that you kinda know from living in the same town, going to the same high school, etc., because you wanna be their friend without being weird about it? Sometimes I reply or react to a story and there's a quick exchange, but it's definitely not the same as trying to make plans or something. It's probably a lot easier than I want it to be, but you know, we all love to make things more difficult for ourselves than they need to be. Is this weird? I mean, how else do adults make friends? Rhetorical question don't answer that I mean it's so can't answer that because we just did this panel for ritual like you were saying and this was one of the questions yeah. so I guess this is a theme guys so in turn we'll start first at the the sliding into to friendly dms I think if you're engaging with somebody who lives in your same town you see them out and about and you're having like a fun little you're liking something of their stories or something like that and let's say they reply back Maybe you say, hey, have you tried like such and such coffee place? It's really good. Like, would you like to meet up there or are you going to? <laughs> would you like to meet up there? <laughs> would you like to meet up there? <laughs> I think you can just be like, do you want to get a coffee? Sure. Like, ch- like in keep that the language way. chill. Keep, keep it. Ch- <laughs> yeah, I'm so not chill. I'm <laughs> such a weirdo. No, um, just if you're already, I guess my point is if you're already engaging with them online, you can extend the conversation exactly. past just short pleasantries. Totally. You can evolve it. To me, it might be weird to just abruptly say, like, do you want to get coffee? It might work. But maybe if you, like, extend the conversation a bit, which is what I was getting at. I see. And then move into making plans that would be like a chill, perhaps inviting vibe. Right. I think it's like, I think that you kind of, whoever asked this question is very aware of the fact that it is not as complicated. I think that what sounds like you're being blocked by is just the fear of being somewhat vulnerable and putting yourself out there. But like Elizabeth said, like it might not work and who cares? Like just do it. I was at a like women's networking event breakfast this morning and those just are not my things. And I went as a guest of somebody and everybody there expressed how weird they felt when they walked in, that they felt separate and Mm -hmm. they felt like the other and they didn't feel like they belonged. I don't want anyone to feel that way. (laughs) There's something just so nice about saying, hi, my name's so-and-so, or if you're meeting someone through someone else, how do you guys know each other? Yeah. And just keep the dialogue going into perhaps a second hang. You never know. <laughs> it is just weird because it's like friending if someone as an adult is like dating someone without dating them. So I get the like feeling of insecurity, but it's so true. Like everyone feels weird. So just be the person to put yourself out there and like be the person to make the weirdness go away. Yeah. Be the change you wish to see in be your the, friend group. Be the weird that everyone can relate to. Exactly. Um, well, thank you so much for your question. Thanks to Erica Chitty Cohen. Do it's- leave us a review. We love to hear from you. They make us smile yeah. if you're enjoying the show. If not, you don't need to leave a review. That's yeah. okay. Send we us can, a side email. We can skip email. that. <laughs> we love your feedback, though. So, yeah, side email is always the proper move in that world. Um, thanks so much to Erica, as Steph said. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you, you. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, see you next time. Namaste listening. Bye. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.